0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, we're told that America is a systemically racist country, but the facts don't quite support that claim, or in fact, don't at all support that claim. And today I want to talk about the one fact that I think most contradicts the systemic racism theory. We're going to get into that today. Also, five headlines, including the left's freakout because the federal government, God forbid, has finally started to come down on the Antifa terrorists is finally enforcing the law, but uh, that's very scandalous and and, uh, and, and horrifying. And the media, the media is very upset about it as well. So we'll discuss that. And in our daily cancellation, we will talk about the story of a great and loving and dutiful father who uh, beat the hell out of his daughter's molester after catching the guy in his daughter's uh, room after sneaking in a window. Well, now he is under arrest. So we got to talk about that today as well. But first, I want to uh, talk with you a little bit about internet freedom. Social media companies get to decide what content is suitable for the, you know, sensitive snowflakes among us and censor whatever they don't like. Shouldn't here's what I, the way I look at it. Shouldn't you be the one to decide what you want to read or to watch and not them? Shouldn't you get to get to make that choice for yourself? Well, here's one thing you can control their access to your data. And for that, I use ExpressVPN. See, the problem with the big tech companies is that not only do they censor what you read, but on top of that, they're tracking what you do online. So they're you know they're they're keeping tabs on you. They're deciding everything that you see, and they're keeping tabs on you. On top of it, they track what you're searching for, the videos you watch, everything you click. As far as I'm concerned, they have no they have no right to that information. It's none of their business. Um, they use this data to serve you ads and can match your activity to your offline identity using your device's unique IP address. When I use ExpressVPN, these tech companies can't see my IP address at all. My identity is masked, anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, uh, ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. Does it sound complicated? It's not. I promise. ExpressVPN software just takes one minute to set up on your computer, and you're protected. They do all the rest. So, um, you know, I've been using this for a long time, and I think that this is there's just, just, there's no reason not to use it. It's almost irresponsible not to have something protecting you if you're on the Internet all the time, as we all are. So why give these tech companies a free license to know everything about you and then turn around and sell off your information? It's time to take back your privacy at expressvpn.com Walsh. By visiting my special link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. And who doesn't like to save money? I think we all do. Again, that's expressvp VPN.com slash Walsh. ExpressVPN.com slash Walsh to protect your data today. Now, I want to talk about the idea that America is systemically racist, currently systemically racist. There's no doubt, of course, that America was at a time systemically racist, it's just like every country on earth has been at a time systemically racist. Um... Racism was the rule across the entire country, uh, rather across the entire world for thousands of years, Uh, and many countries currently still are systemically racist. The claim from the left is not just that we were systemically racist, but that we are right now today, and that the problem is not just the legacy of slavery or Jim Crow, obvious examples of actual systemic racism, which thankfully are in the past. But the claim is that there is still systemic racism today. And that it is, an, it is in fact an extremely significant problem and it's so significant that as Ilhan Omar said, we played the video a few days ago, we have to dismantle our whole economy and political system and society to rid ourselves of it. The question though is whether there's evidence for this current scourge called systemic racism. I know evidence is treated as a, as a mere technicality these days But it really does matter, because evidence is all about you you, you believe something. Well, when I ask for evidence of, of that belief, that's not a technicality. It's not splitting hairs. It's not being pedantic. What I'm really saying is, oh, why do you believe that? Do you have a reason? If you have no evidence, then that means you have literally no reason to believe what you believe which means you shouldn't believe it if there's no reason to. Now, remember, the fact that black Americans as a percentage suffer more from poverty, crime, and so on um, is not itself proof of systemic racism because those are the things that systemic racism is supposed to explain. So in other words, we see the struggles faced by the black community. Everyone sees them. There's no denying that. The question is, Why are those things happening? And the explanation we're given is systemic racism, which means that to prove systemic racism, to prove that it's true, you need to do something other than simply point back to the things you're explaining. It's the same with police shootings. Okay, there's 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 no doubt that a higher percentage of black men are killed by cops than white men or white people in general. That in itself is not proof of racism. Racism is the explanation we are given for that fact. But when I ask, how do you know that racism is the cause, you can't just repeat the data point um, that racism is meant to explain in the first place. So this is a simple rule of logic. And as it happens when it comes to police shootings, what you really have to look at is not the overall raw number of white versus black people shot by cops. In that case, it's actually more white people than black people. You also can't look at the overall percentage of black versus white people shot by cops. That tells us nothing because if, say, black men committed a disproportionate amount of violent crime, which they do, um, then that's going to puff up those percentages. So what we need to know is of the black versus white people arrested by police, that's the group we need to look at. Are either of those groups, the arrested groups, substantially more likely to be killed in the process? And the answer is no. So when you when you isolate it and you actually look at the groups of both races arrested by cops, there is not a substantial, substantially greater likelihood that a black person is going to die in the process. Um, And that, you know, and and that, by the way, is a little bit of a sidetrack here. We're going to get back to systemic racism in a second, but. You often hear because a, 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 greater, a greater percentage of black men are killed by cops than white men overall. As I said, that doesn't tell you anything. But the way that that's reported by the media, what they'll say is they'll say something like, "Black men are two times as likely, or you know, three times as likely to be shot and killed by cops as white men." That that's not true. That doesn't make any sense. You can't just look at the overall percentages and say and then and then say of every individual black man that he's twice as likely to be killed by cops because there are a lot of other things that go into your likelihood of being killed by cops. So a black man who's never arrested by cops or doesn't commit any crime, there is virtually a 0% chance that he's going to be killed by cops. We do hear of cases of someone just in their home, cops bust in and kill them. Horrible, horribly unjust. Everyone is against that. Everyone is is in favor of accountability in those cases. I know I am, and I talk about those cases when they happen. But those are exceedingly rare. In almost every single case of someone being killed by cops, it's in the process of an arrest after they've committed some kind of crime. Doesn't mean that the shooting is always justified. A lot of times, the shooting is because the, the, the police are responding to fatal to uh, lethal aggression on the other side, but. That's that's the point. So if, if if you're a black man or white man or or Asian man, Hispanic man who doesn't commit any crimes, your likelihood is pretty much zero. It's not the same for everybody. Um, you know, it, it would be kind of like if I if you looked at the overall numbers of, uh, of of you know people of a certain race who are convicted as sex offenders, and then we were to say. Uh, you know, of everybody in that race, you have a whatever percent chance of being convicted as a sex offender. Well, well, no, that's that's because your 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 chance of being convicted as a sex offender is exponentially greater if you actually are one. If you if you don't commit any sex commit any sex offenses, your chances of being convicted as one are almost zero. There's still a chance of being falsely convicted. That does happen, but. The vast majority of people convicted actually did do it. It's not like the vast majority are innocent. So, you know, that's why you have to be careful with the way these things are phrased by the media oftentimes, Um, because the way that they want to make it seem as though cops are just the reason they phrase it like that, you know, every black man has a whatever percent chance of dying at the hands of cops. They want to make, make it seem as though cops are just randomly walking up to people on the street and killing them. And that is not happening. That's just not happening. Okay, so back to systemic racism. What I want to do here is offer a data point or a set of data points that while they may not on their own disprove systemic racism, they do contradict the systemic racism claim in a rather startling and severe sort of way. Uh, I think what we have here is an extremely significant strike against systemic racism. And it's worth looking at that and thinking about it. Now, a very big problem, okay, for those who promote the systemic racism theory is the story and experience of black immigrants in the United States. If our country is systemically racist and it is structured to keep minorities down, if our, if our, if our, if our system is inherently one that promotes and is fueled by white supremacism, which is what we're told, You would expect immigrants to do very poorly, and in particular, black immigrants to do worst of all. That's not the case. So let's look at a few things here. Um, Starting with this, the share, and this is from Pew, the share of black immigrants who live below the poverty line. You see the graph there, only four points higher than the general U.S. population. College degree, one third of a college degree, nearly on par with the general population. Household income. Is lower than the general population, but not substantially lower. And then you notice how immigrants from South America actually have a higher household income than the general population. And this here, this uh, passage is from uh, the site called uh, a site called CourthouseNews.com. Says the income growth for female black immigrants, specifically female black immigrants, is outpacing both black and white women born in the U.S. Certainly not what you would expect from a country that is, we're told. Inherently racist and sexist, patriarchal and and uh, racist on top of it. In fact, whatever marker you look at, whatever point you analyze, you see that black immigrants do pretty well in this country, which is a great thing. Now, what do you expect, though, in an allegedly racist country? Why is that? Well, let me submit one possible explanation. and You find it here, back with Pew. Um... Their statistics, you see 50% of black immigrants live in a married two-parent household, or at least a married couple household. The number for black Americans who are um, born in the US, uh, you know, and black Americans who lag behind black immigrants in nearly every category, the number there is 36%. And so you have 50% versus 36%. Pretty significant difference there. In fact, what you notice is that. The groups with the, the highest percentage of married households always seem to do the best in every area. This might explain something else. Now, it's, it's widely known and uh, remarked upon that Asians generally and Asian immigrants do extremely well in America. Even better off than the native-born white Americans. Asian immigrants in America are a, a, a stunning success story. Which again, that on its own is not what you would expect in a systemically racist country. Doesn't disprove it on its own. But I guess what I'm saying is if you didn't know anything about America, and I told you, or BLM told you, that America is a racist dystopia governed by systemic white supremacism, and you heard that, and then you were asked, which group of people do you think is most successful in this racist dystopia, you would say, well, white people, obviously. If you then found out that Asian people are most successful, you'd be pretty confused. That's just not what you would expect based on what you were told. I think this might have something to do do with it. Uh, From the National Kids Count Data Center, this is showing us children who live in two-parent households. And it says Asians, 84%, whites, 77%, 77%, 77%, 77%, 77%, 77% black, 37%. And here they aren't separating black, immigrant, and native-born, so that's why the number's a little bit higher than the one I quoted earlier. But still, it's it's, it's and it's still strikingly low. 84% Asian, 77% white, black, 37%. It's a hell of a coincidence, isn't it? I mean, th- There appears to be, call me crazy, a direct correlation between success in economic and education you know economics and educational and in many other areas and stability of the family there really is a direct correlation right down the line there are no outliers you know um th- th- there's no group as far as i can tell that throws everything for a loop by not having stable families, yet succeeding spectacularly. That doesn't exist. All of the groups that struggle in the area of maintaining stable families also struggle in every other area. The groups that have more stable families are more successful in every area. There are no outliers. Now, there are many outliers in the systemic racism theory. There are a lot of groups that throw you for a loop. Groups that aren't doing what you would expect them to do on the systemic racism theory like black immigrants, Asians, etc. But on the theory that the family is what determines success, everything looks exactly, exactly as you would expect it to look. If I told you that America is not, if you didn't know anything about America, and I told you it's not a racist country, but it is a country probably like any other country on earth where um, the fate of the family in a given group is going to determine their success rate in every other category. And then you looked at the data, it would look exactly as you would expect it to look based on what I told you. That just can't be a coincidence. Correlation does not equal causation, but it can very strongly point to causation. And here I think it's pointing with neon signs and flashing bold letters and the sign says ifs it's the family stupid it's about the family so this is where we need to look this is not acad- this is not you know it, uh, merely academic or about trying to deflect or change the subject no if we actually care about black children growing up in the city um, if we actually care what happens to them which I do, I, I'm, I'm very skeptical that anyone in Black Lives Matter gives the slightest damn. I care. Hopefully you care. Well, then we, we, we know that they're, that they're suffering, that they're facing a lot of disadvantages. That's, that's clear. We have to accurately diagnose the problem. The family might not be the only problem, might not explain everything, it's not a cure all. You get have plenty of people that grow up in, in in supposedly, allegedly, at least on the on the outside, stable families, and still, uh, you know, suffer greatly in life and 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 and, and you know and and, and don't succeed uh, by any of these these measures. So that does happen, but it seems very clear that that if you want to give a kid the best chance, give him the give him the, the best shot at having a good life, a successful life. Um, you got to give them two parents that are married in the same house. So we have to start there. That has to be the message. And that's an important message for everybody. Because although I showed you those numbers of, you know, number of kids by race and demographic living in two-parent households, we should also note that that percentage is going down. It's headed in the opposite direction for pretty much every group. So it's still relatively high, white family 77%. Relatively high, but that still leaves a quarter of, of white kids who don't have uh, don't live in houses with married parents. That's troubling. I and mean, as I said, trending in the wrong direction. So this should be the message to everybody. You want to give a kid the best chance, get married and stay married start with that. That's our starting point. Once we've achieved that, then we can start talking about some of these other things. The thing that threatens black children in the city, um, it's not the police. It's not systemic racism. It's not the, the KKK. Okay, It's not neo-Nazis prowling the streets, all, all 15 of them across the entire country. It's not them. It's that they are most of them. Vast majority growing up in, in in households where they don't have the stability of a married married parents who are there in the home seeing to their well being and oftentimes the parent of course that's missing is the father and uh, as as we have discovered in modern society turns out fathers are not expendable. Uh, You can't just get rid of the father and think that everything's going to continue along as normal. It's not. Turns out fathers are really necessary. Kids need them. What do you know? Okay, we're going to go to five headlines. Today's five headlines brought to you by the Benham Brothers. Learn how to own a business without it owning you. Get a 15% discount on the Benham Brothers new course, Expert Ownership at BenhamBrothers.com slash Walsh. It's BenhamBrothers.com slash Walsh. So Fox has decided that it will keep Nick Cannon on board as host of The Masked Singer. Um, Terribly stupid show, by the way. I I, I kept hearing about the show and I I sat down and watched it for about 10 minutes and I I almost couldn't believe. So people are, why? What is this? Why are people watching it? Well, I don't know why I continue to be shocked by the rampant stupidity of our culture, but Uh, So he's still going to host the show, despite the fact that he said white people are soulless, evil, subhuman savages. Not even in spite of that. They're just pretending it didn't happen. Like, just not acknowledging it. Like everybody else pretending it didn't happen. So Cannon, as a consequence of making the most racist comments we have heard on a platform that size in a long time, lost his partnership with Viacom, uh, which which actually he lost it not even because of the, the white comments, but because of the Jewish comments but still keeps his hosting gig on Fox, has been offered other jobs to replace Viacom. And by the way, we can be certain he'll be back with Viacom in no time. I pretty much guarantee you that. What this means is that, just taking another example, those kids who were, remember those kids at Jimmy John's who were uh, on, on on film playing around with with the, 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 the dough for the bread, pretending it was a noose? Those dumb kids, faced worse consequences and a greater backlash than Nick Cannon, a major ubiquitous celebrity who called an entire race of people barbaric and subhuman. This is cancel culture. If anyone's wondering what cancel culture is, this is it right here. Cancel culture, this is an aspect of cancel culture that isn't acknowledged enough. Cancel culture is a left-wing Phenomenon. It is. It is run by the left. It's what the left does. We might as well call it. We should just call it left-wing cancel culture or left-wing culture, leftist, whatever you want to call it. It is a left-wing phenomenon. It's there. There is. There is no cancel culture against the left. If there was, Nick Cannon would be canceled. He's not. Even though he said the most racist thing. As I, I can you think of of an example of a major celebrity or even a not-so-major celebrity, um, saying something that racist recently, that's the most racist thing we've heard from someone at that level in a very long time. He's not canceled. The Jimmy John's people are. Why? Because the left runs a cancel culture. It's all them. So when when uh, people on the right or anybody else tries to hold Nick Cannon responsible, hold him accountable for being a a, a raging bigot, that's not cancel culture. You can't say, oh, I thought you were against cancel culture. I am. It's not cancel culture. All I'm saying is he just stood up and announced that that his entire white audience, which 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 I, I, I'm I'm guessing, especially on the masked singers, most of his audience, are subhuman savages. You should be accountable, but that's not that's not cancel culture. Cancel culture is when the left goes after some random kids and tries to destroy their lives. For no reason. That's cancel culture. Okay, number two. uh, The Squad's Ringo, Ayanna Presley is back in the news. Here's what she said at a um, House committee on oversight and reform meeting. Here's what she had to say. Here here is her theory on uh, the history and formation of the American police. You know it's going to be pretty good. Listen to this.
1: Many... Black women and mothers, surviving family members, have had to relive the trauma of seeing their their loved ones murdered and live-streamed on national television. The mothers of the movement have been trying to tell us for generations, from Mrs. Till to Lucy McBath, to stop murdering our children. We must listen. We must center these experiences in this moment of truth-telling and reckoning. And while Juneteenth is meant to be a day of celebration and of freedom and emancipation, Again, we must take stock of this moment and be sobered about the work that lies ahead. Uh, Mr. Crenshaw, um, is it fair to say that the policing system in our nation grew out of the practice of capturing and often murdering individuals trying to escape from his- from slavery? Could you speak to just the history yes. of our policing system and um, how you see that influencing modern day policing?
0: No, Ayana, it would not be fair to say. Um, It's not fair to say because you just made that up on the spot, just invented that. The police department was formed based on retrieving and killing slaves. What? Every civilization in history has had some kind of law enforcement mechanism. Uh, This is not unique. The fact that we have police in this country, actually, it's not unique. The only countries that don't—the only, the only time you're not going to find any sort of law enforcement is in a failed state, or the worst third world hellholes you can find, where they have no sort of infrastructure, or government, uh, of any kind. Anywhere else, if you have a civilized society, um, there's going to be police. So you just—but that—that's what—that's—that's that's what we see now. Um, the left—they just make up, just make up something. <laughs> no reason for that. Just make it up. No justification, off the top of her head. Why not? Number three, the media is having conniption fits today because unidenti- quote unquote, "unidentified" quote-unquote secret police are arresting quote-unquote protesters in quote-unquote unmarked vans. Um, we are told that this is the heralding of a new age of fascism and tyranny. It's a big deal. It's ter- my God. It's terrible. We should all panic. The poor, pro- the poor, poor protesters. Look what's happening to them. Um, what have they ever done, these protesters, besides commit serious felonies every night for the last two months straight? I mean, besides that, what have they done? Nothing. Here's the the footage that everyone is uh, panicking about today. Look at this.
1: What are you doing? Use your words. What are you doing? Use your words. What are you doing?
2: Use your words
1: what is going on we need to know who are you? are
2: you Why are you NLG things? will get We're you out what's your, what's your tell name tell us your name what's your
1: name okay you're fine we'll get you out bro what
2: right. we got you friend we got you
3: f- NLG you just violated their rights oh. it's Kidnapping people. you just oh. violated their
2: rights thanks for keeping
0: them yeah. f- oh. use your words Use your words. Okay, so they're they're arresting an Antifa goon dressed in all black with a helmet, arresting that person in front of a crowd on film. They're in uniform. The uniforms say police on them. What's the problem here? I I don't, what are we worried about with this? Is this because they look scary? Is that the problem? And since everyone's, you know, having a, Uh, is very upset about the unmarked vehicle since when when is this a new concept why is everyone freaking out that they use an unmarked cops use unmarked vehicles all the time especially if they don't want you to immediately know that they're the police there's no law saying that they have to announce down the street that they're the police there may be times when the police don't want you to know that the police are right there Uh, so there's nothing new about the fact that it's an unmarked van. Cops use unmarked vehicles all the time. Totally normal and also necessary in some circumstances. They've got the thing. Says police, "What do you want them to do? Are they supposed to stop and ask permission? Excuse me, sir, do you mind if we arrest you?" We were just we I don't we were just stopping by, thought we'd arrest you. You got time for that now? Is it okay? Oh, no. Okay, we'll stop back later. Oh, you don't you don't want you don't want us to arrest you at all ever. Okay. Well, then forget about it. Never mind. You're good to go. Sorry. We apologize. Of course, you know I'm, I'm, I'm being sarcastic. That is actually what the left wants. That, that is how they imagine policing and how it should work, if it works at all. If we have police at all, that's how they should do it. Number four. Uh, that was in Portland. This also is in Portland. Here's here's another cop sharing his experience with those lovely anti-racist white antifa goons. Listen to this.
2: It says something when you're at a Black Lives Matter protest. You have more minorities on the police side than you have in a violent crowd. And you have white people screaming at black officers. You have the biggest nose I've ever seen. I got to see folks that really do want change like the rest of us that have been impacted by racism. And then I got to see those people get faded out by people that have no idea what racism is all about never experienced racism. They don't even know that the tactics that they are using are the same tactics that were used against my people. A lot of times, someone of color, black, Hispanic, Asian, come up to the fence and directly wanna talk to me. Hey, what do you think about George Floyd? What do you think about what happened about this? I go up to the fence, someone white comes up, F the police, don't talk to him. Every time I try to have a conversation with someone that looks like me, someone white comes up, and blocks him and tells him not to talk. And then right when I said that, this white girl popped right in front of her. She said, he just said that was going to happen. I said, straight up. I said, you know, I've been called the N-word. She's been called the N-word. Why are you talking to me this way? And why do you feel that she can't speak for herself to me? Why is it that you feel you need to speak for her when we're having a conversation?
0: Yeah, I think I'll, I'll just let his testimony speak for itself there. But I think that tells you. Everything you need to know about Antifa. If you didn't already know everything you need to know about it. Five, finally, uh, I just need to read this report to you. This is from NBC Los Angeles, which is the local affiliate where all of this is happening. Uh, So, okay, listen to this. Headline, officials warn residents that dangerous sex offender may be released into Orange County. It says Orange County officials are warning residents Tuesday that a dangerous sex offender who has targeted young boys was due to be released. And we're asking for the governor of California to intervene. Early Wednesday, Costa Mesta... Costa Mesa police tweeted that he had indeed been released, but was not currently in the Orange, Orange County city, uh, leaving many to wonder where he was. Kerry J. Smith, 59 years old, was set to be released from a state hospital where he spent the last 20 years. He was set to return to Orange County where he once lived after the hospital neglected to renew a hold July 11th 2020. Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer and the Board of Supervisors um, made the plea Tuesday to Governor Gavin Newsom, saying he's got to do something. They previously testified that he fantasized about raping and killing boys. This according to the DA statement. Uh, Spitzer said the sexual predator has repeatedly testified under oath that he will re-offend if he is released, and we should believe him. In 2002, Spitzer attempted to file 20 felony counts of a lewd and lascivious act with a minor against Smith, but the statute of limitations had run out. Um, He was sent originally in 1999 to a to the state hospital after his then wife uh, revealed a letter that he had written to a psychiatrist, where he describes his fantasies about raping a seven-year-old boy. Um, he also says that he molested two hundred boys and killed three. This is what this is what he testified during multiple hearings. Um, he also reportedly likes to go by the name Mister RTK, which stands for Rape Torture Kill. All right, so you've got a man who testifies to molesting hundreds of boys, promises that he will reoffend again. He is dangerous, according to even himself, and he's being released into the po- he has been released, and they don't know where he is. Uh, and so far, the latest I, from the latest I've seen, anyway, the governor of California has not stepped in. He's not. He's not. I guess he's. This is not on his top top of his list of priorities. I mean, this is a guy that is going to hurt and probably kill a young boy, according to him. And there's no reason not to believe him. And uh, he's out there currently. So if you live in Southern California, that's what he looks like. Kerry J. Smith. Okay, we're going to move on to our daily cancellation. Before we do, you know, in the midst of all this news, Ben Shapiro has a new book called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Uh, he has looked into the future and when he was writing this thing, and uh, it's it's come to life all around us. A very prescient book. The book goes on sale Tuesday, July 21st at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Um, he's going to be doing a live virtual signing on the day of release. You can go to dailywire.com slash Ben. Uh, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps details the, the different visions of America, the two really, broadly speaking, the two different visions of America that we see playing out, and the one that is right now great, gaining ground so quickly. How is it gaining ground? Why is it? Well, that's what Ben talks about in the book. That's dailywire.com slash Ben to order your signed copy and join Ben's live signing on Tuesday, July 21st. Okay, now I, uh, I want to get to our daily cancellation. I will be canceling with great wrath and vengeance, some of the people involved in this story. Watch.
3: A lot of dads might say they do the same thing as Ismail Casillas did when he found a grown man inside his 14-year-old daughter's bedroom, and that is to beat that man bloody, even knocked out some teeth. But investigators say there's only so much Georgia law allows, and they say the dad crossed the line. That's 41-year-old Ismael Casillas on the left and 20-year-old Kiwantra says Humphreys on the right. Investigators say the two men first met early July 4th morning in the bedroom of Casillas' 14-year-old daughter. Investigators say in a rage the dad severely beat and choked Humphreys, even chipped and knocked out some teeth. And if it had stopped there, investigators say the dad might not be facing any charges. But they say Ismail Casillas asked his wife for a gun, and they say after the 20-year-old jumped out the bedroom window, the dad met him in the front yard and continued the beating, threatening his life and firing shots through the neighborhood as the young man ran away. Investigators say that is where Casillas crossed the line.
0: There's a line that you know, he can't cross, we can't cross. It, it, there's a stopping point. When somebody no longer a threat to you, my advice would be, let it go and contact us and let us handle it.
3: Don't take it into your own hands. Investigators have also charged Kiwantra's Humphreys with child molestation. They say he was in a relationship with a 14 year old girl and climbed through her bedroom window. Investigators say Humphreys is known as Man Man. Because of his age and the girls, they are pursuing a sex crime investigation and more charges are possible.
0: We, we've gathered phone evidence from the, from the young lady uh, the young man's phone has been looked at, uh, and, and those are things that we're still looking into as to possibly further other further charges.
3: The dad was taken into custody that morning on July 4th. They say after identifying and locating Man Man Humphreys, he was taken into custody in Putnam County Thursday night.
0: Okay, now I hope it's already obvious to you that I'm not can- canceling the father here. I I would build a statue to him if I could. I would build a statue, electrify it, cover it in barbed wire, maybe put trap doors around the base of it so that if you get too close, you'll fall into a pit of alligators. Th- that's actually what I would like to do with all statues. If I was under my regime, that's what we'll be doing. But he is not canceled. I am, I am canceling, obviously, the child molesting scumbag. That goes, goes without saying. Uh, and let, Let's take a look at him again after the beating. That's what he looks like. So That's that's just a, a wonderful, heartwarming picture right there. Um. But also, I'm canceling the local authorities for pressing charges. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Put yourself in Ismail's shoes here, the father. Um, A man climbed into your window to molest your daughter, your adolescent daughter. You find find him in her room. I submit that there is essentially nothing you can do in that scenario that should land you in prison. I mean, you would have to go very, very, very far and get very creative in your response to that situation to justify criminal charges, if they can be justified at all on any level whatsoever. Um, this loving father did not go overboard in the slightest bit. He whooped the guy's ass, of course. Any father worth a damn would do that. That's just standard operating procedure. You have to do that. The only, bit, the only sort of extra bit of relish that he put on this particular hot dog was to tell his wife to go get the gun, which I love that, by the way. He told his wife, I've always wanted to say, honey, get the shotgun. I've always wanted to say that. Um, and he, he said that to his wife, and then he fired some shots as the guy runs away. Um, okay, now, the way that I read that and hear that, it seems like they were more warning shots than anything. I believe the report said that he, he fired the shots as the guy ran. It didn't even say that he fired them at him. Um So it seems more like warning shots of, hey, this is what's going to happen if you come back again type of thing. But either way, listen, this is a man who broke into your home to molest your daughter. You don't know if he has a gun on him. You don't know if he has a gun back at his car, um, if he stashed a gun outside somewhere. You don't know. He might circle back and try to hurt your daughter, try to hurt you. You are perfectly justified, as far as I could tell, in treating him as a lethal threat even as he runs away, because he might not really be running away. He's just running. You don't know if he's going away, if he's going to come back, if he's going to run around back, going to get a weapon. I I think you're justified in assuming that he is a lethal threat the entire time he's within your sights, as far as I'm concerned. At least, those are the arguments that I would accept if I was on the jury. Um, I don't even know if what I'm saying is legally valid by Georgia state law probably isn't. I don't care. If I'm on that jury, the dad's lawyer could just offer that as a defense and I'm going to quit. Or he could say that, um, you know, he was temporarily insane with anger. Um, I'd accept that. He could say he tripped and fell and accidentally fired the gun. I'd accept that argument too. Um, he could say that he thought the gun was a laser tag gun, you know, and I, I would also, you know, he thought he was playing laser tag. I'd I'd take that defense. That would be convincing to me. Or his entire defense could be, Your Honor, look, uh, listen, come on. You know, you understand. Come on. That could be his entire defense. I personally on the jury would find that argument, probably most of all, deeply compelling and convincing um, or literally any other argument at all. The point is that, If you break into a man's house to molest his daughter, you have just volunteered yourself for some very unpleasant treatment. Um, You have consented to it, even if not verbally. You, as the saying goes, have written a check that your ass will now have to cash. So I say cheers to that great father for doing his job. Um, This country would be in pretty good shape if there were like 50 million more dads like that out there, we were just talking about, we started the show talking about the importance of having dads in the home. Well, here's one of the reasons, protector of the family. So I would uh, cheers to him and uh, a a, a stern cancellation to everyone involved with arresting and charging him. I I just have to believe, especially in Georgia, uh, there's just, I, I have to believe there's no jury. I'd have to believe there's no jury in America, much less in Georgia, that would convict him. That is my hope and prayer. Anyway, we'll leave it there for the, uh, for the week, guys. Have a great weekend. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020.